Father's house, our prayer is that you will be blessed and strengthened by the power of Jesus Christ. We would like to thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word. Pastor if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. We're going to start talking about the miracles of Jesus. Amen. How many know God's a miracle worker? Amen. Hallelujah. He's a miracle worker. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. How many sense a heavy anointing in the room? I do. I appreciate Brandon for, uh, in case you've not been here, uh, 15 minutes or so before service, we just do prayer and intercession that leads right into worship. And it, it has shifted things. Amen. How I many know prayer shifts things? Amen. Prayer doesn't just change things, it changes people. Amen. And so we sense that and we know what God is doing. So John chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. Amen. That's what the word says. It says, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to them, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do you have? What does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Uh, hallelujah. His mother said to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. How many know God saves the best for last? This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went to Capernaum, he and his mother and brothers, his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God and we thank you for your presence in the room. I thank you that a shift is happening with our people and in this house and in this region. Revival's timely and it's, it's here. It's upon us. And God, we just humbly thank you that the best days are ahead. Father, we pray for your anointing on this word. Let it go forth and transform lives today. Let us go from glory to glory in you. And I pray as this word is released and as you move this morning that our prayer life is enhanced. Our devotion to the word is increased and our obedience to you is activated. Father, we thank and we preach in Jesus' name and everybody says, amen. Amen. So let's get in this word this morning. I want to talk about the subject of giving Jesus an invitation. Giving Jesus an invitation. Amen. It's amazing to think that the first miracle of Jesus wasn't open and blinded eyes. It wasn't, it wasn't making the dumb to talk and the lame to walk and raising Lazarus from the dead. The first miracle of Jesus 
was turning water into wine. And I believe there's a lot of significance in this story. And we want to break this down about as good as we can try to do to be able to understand why this would be the first miracle of Jesus. Can I tell you that this miracle was not about so we can throw a party and get drunk? If you get that out of this story, your theology is jacked up. Amen? Number one, how long would it take to ferment? It's a new wine, right? It just happens, right? That's point number one. Point number two, I've read the Bible. Anytime anyone ever got drunk, I've never seen anything good happen out of it. Ask Noah. Ask Lot. Amen. If you don't know, read your Bible. It's a little weird. What took place? Nothing good comes out of it. It's just trying to get your mind numb to the pain long enough until that pain comes back. But I can tell you there is a Jesus that can take the pain away. There's a Jesus, because you can, you can lay down this stuff, but you'll just hop to other things until you go numb to that pain. But until you let God deal with the fear and the bitterness and the pain, you'll just keep going from one thing to another. Are you guys with me? He is the one who gives you peace. He's the one who gives you joy. He's the one that heals you and sets you free. Are you guys with me this morning? Amen. On the third day, there was a wedding in the Cana, in Cana of Galilee. The third day was very uh, important to the Jewish culture to do weddings. Number one, uh, they didn't do it on a Sabbath day. They want to give people time to, to recover from the Sabbath day and have time to travel to the wedding. Also, it was on the third day where God said in creation, is the only, play, only time where God said twice in those seven days of creation that he made, made things and he saw that it was good because a wedding's supposed to be good and a marriage is supposed to be good. Amen. So on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. It's about giving Jesus an invitation. You can't expect God to work miracles until you give him an invitation. You can't expect God to change your region until you give him an invitation. We've got to give Jesus an invitation because it makes it personal. Jesus' invitation to the wedding was because of a relationship. We've got to learn to marry the prophetic with relationships. It seems like you've either got one of two sides of the spectrum. You either got a church that's flowing in the prophetic signs, wonders, and miracles, believing for extraordinary things to happen. I'm talking about the American church. Or you've got a church that's all about relationships and building connections and connecting with people and making disciples and, and having relationships and life groups and cell groups and all these different groups. But the fact of the matter is, is that when we marry the two, then we can see the kingdom of God manifest. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. 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 We got to get there. But in Revelation, I mean, uh, Brandon was talking about this, but I want to kind of emphasize this. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus introduces himself to a certain way to each of, the, each of the churches of the seven churches of Asia Minor. All right? So in other words, each church experienced a dimension of Jesus that the other church did not experience. <laughs> amen? Are you with me? 
Church of Ephesus, he said, I'm the one who holds the seven stars, walks among the seven golden candlesticks. To the church of Smyrna, the first and the last, the one who was dead and is alive. This is how Jesus introduced himself to the persecuted church. The church of Pergamos, I'm the one with the two-edged sword. When you speak what I speak, then you want to tear down strongholds in your region. To the church of Thyatira, that tolerated the spirit of Jezebel, he said, the son of God, I'm the one who have the eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like furnished bronze or like fine brass. Amen. I see. You can't hide your sin. I see it, right? To the church of the Sardis, he said, I'm the one who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars, the sevenfold spirit of God. You had a name that is dead or you have a name that is alive, but church is spiritually dead. He said, you can't hide it from me because I have the spirit of wisdom, knowledge, counsel, mind, understanding, knowledge, fear of the Lord, spirit of the Lord. Amen. Church of Philadelphia, I'm the one who's holy and true, who has the key of David, who opens, no man can shut, and what I shut, no man can open, right? This was the church of brotherly love, right? This was a church that wasn't condemned, but they were persecuted, but I'm going to open doors for you. To the church of Laodicea, he said, I am the faithful, true witness. I am the amen and the beginning of creation. This was a church that Jesus didn't have one compliment for. Amen. Because they were in a lukewarm condition. What are you saying, Justin? What I'm saying is God introduced himself in a different way to every church and in particular and specifically to every need in relation to that church. Right? So I want to speak and prophesy this morning that the dimension of Jesus we're going to see is that he is a God of miracles. I'm prophesying that right now, so you need to just go ahead and agree it and receive it. Amen. That he, that, that if there was a letter to the church of our father's house in Pineville, he may say, you know what? I am the one who opens blinded eyes. I am the one who was dead and is now alive. I am the one who makes the lame to walk and the dumb to speak. Amen. I am the one. He is the God of miracles and he has not changed. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, if you believe it, clap your hands and give God some praise. So what do we need to do? We need to give Jesus an invitation. So Father, we pray right now. Lord, we invite you into this house and we invite you into this region. Lord God, as the God of miracles, who was and is and is to come, Lord, we just thank you that you are going to heal cancer in ways we've never seen you heal cancer. God, we thank you that where people have lost jobs in the coal mine industry and things have been shaky with the hospital and things that have taken place, we're going to see you and know you as the God of miracles. Father, we invite you into this region. Introduce yourself. Make yourself known. When the, when the people, government officials, school board, when they look, let them say it had to be God. We invite you in, God, that we don't get the glory, but you do. We rend the heavens as we rend our hearts before you. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 10. I want to read verse 1. The Bible says, after this, the Lord Jesus formed 35 teams among the other disciples. Each team was two disciples, 70 in all. And he commissioned them to go into every town that he was about to visit. I want to drop down. I gave them verses 1 through 11, but I want to drop down to verse 11. It says, we wipe from our feet the very dust of your streets as a testimony before you. Understand this. God's kingdom realm came within your reach, but you have rejected God's invitation. 
So in accordance to scripture, this was 70 disciples. And Jesus sent them out two by two into every city before he ever showed up to prepare the way for him to come. Because he said, God is giving you an invitation. And he's manifesting the kingdom to signs and wonders. And he's on his way. So signs and wonders indicate that Jesus is coming. I said it indicates that Jesus is coming. I mean, believe Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Hallelujah. Brandon, come up here for a minute. I want you to share something. Brandon was sharing something with me yesterday. I want, you to, I want him to share with you guys for just a minute about a man. How many's ever heard of uh, Daniel Nash? Anybody's ever heard of him? Just one or two people. I want you to share something on that. Go ahead. Uh, the reason why Daniel Nash is not really known is because like, his descendants can't be found. Uh, his church is no longer in existence. His, his grave is like basically abandoned, but in a spiritual sense, his ministry made a huge impact specifically for Charles Finney. Um, Daniel Nash understood the, that prayer was essential for, a prepar- for preparation of an area for evangelism. So basically, uh, I have the notes here. He, would, uh, he made like a covenant of prayer with Charles Finney, and, he, and Charles Finney would send, when the Lord would send him into an area for revival, uh, Daniel Nash, along with one other man by the name of Abel Clary, just two of them, would go into the areas and they would rent for like 25 cents a week a basement. And Charles Finney says that an area took about three or four weeks of prayer to get it prepared. And they would go and they would pray down. Uh, I mean, they would groan. They would have a travail in prayer. You know, the people who would rent to them would open the doors and thought something was wrong with them medically, but they were just lost in prayer. Uh, and they would just prepare the area because they, they understood this glorious principle that darkness is fought in prayer so the word of the Lord can go forth. Right. And uh, and and Charles Finney absolutely in his testimony and his biography named the fact that his revivals, the revivals that God allowed him to have would not have been effective. It wasn't for uh, someone who was in covenant uh, with of prayer with him to prepare the way. So that's awesome. So the reason why I wanted Brandon to share that was because it was in correlation to the format that Jesus laid out in Scripture. He didn't go into a city without disciples preparing the way for him to get into that city. He even sent him, before he rode into the city on a mule, he sent two of his disciples to go get one and said, prepare the way of the Lord. The king is coming, man. Hosanna, the king. Why? Why? Because they had to go and be obedient to the cause of Christ. So what if we as a church said, we're going to take the next 21 days and we want to pray, we want to take moments and times of fasting and seek God for our region, and let's just see what God does. Let's just see what he does. Is that okay? I didn't plan on saying that, but man, that just prompted me in my spirit when he just said three to four weeks. What if we just give the next 21 days to prayer and devotion for our region as a church? And let's see miracles happen. You do understand that this month makes two years that Pastor Ken spoke and prayed over our church and spoke. You know, this month is it. Two years right? Look around. Maybe this will be the last time this church looks like this. Amen. Maybe not. That's okay. We may have the same faces in a month from now, but just maybe what if there's an increased spirit in this house? 
What if there's an increased faith in this house? What if there's increased signs and wonders and miracles and the anointing of God? What if we do something here that people come to the from the nations to come here to see what God does? But then all of a sudden, I say, Brandon, how about how about you go and spend two weeks over in that city? And we're going to pray and believe God. And we're going to come over there and we're going to just declare some things. And what we're going to carry pine for what God's doing into those cities. That sounds like an apostolic move. But I believe God wants to do it. I said, I believe God wants to do it. Amen. I feel a prophetic anointing in the room. Amen. So let's let's do that. Can we do that? Can we covenant 21 days to just pray, God, shake the region with your glory? Do something that blows our minds, and whatever you tell us to do, let us be obedient to it. Guys with me, say amen. The first miracle that Jesus did here, he had an invitation. It wasn't behind a pulpit. Again, it wasn't opening blinded eyes. But it didn't happen in a synagogue behind a pulpit. It happened at a wedding celebration. Amen. It's amazing that all of this took place, amen, in this, in this story, that he turned water into wine. I like what Pastor Parsi said. I've heard him say it uh, several times, and I want to say the miracle wasn't just that water turned to wine, but that the wine never went back to water. Because when God brings transformation, he does it well. God doesn't want to change you for two weeks till you go back in the old routine and abort everything he did in your life. Amen. When God does the work, he wants to do it permanent. It's not a temporary fix, but a permanent dwelling place of his goodness and mercy. Amen. Amen. Here's the thing about weddings. Something always goes wrong at a wedding. It doesn't matter how much money you got and how much you prepare. Something goes wrong. How many's ever been to a wedding where something goes wrong? How many has something go wrong at your wedding? Right? Amen. Hallelujah. If you had the perfect wedding where nothing went wrong, that is a miracle in itself, and you need to give God some praise. Amen. Hallelujah. But anyway, in this story, the wine had run out, and Mary goes to Jesus and said, They have no wine. Jesus said, Woman, what do I have to do with you? Now, <clears throat> I know Jesus' mom wasn't country. She wasn't Hispanic, Brandon. She wasn't African American. She was from the city. Because I know if I told my mama, what do I have to do with you? Because we ran out of pop at the house, and I need to go get some pop. I know what would happen to me. Do you know what happened to you? Oh, yeah. But this was Jesus. Could you imagine how Jesus' half-brothers felt? Jesus get away with anything. <laughs> he can tell Jesus whatever because he turned water into wine and opened blinded eyes. What'd you do today? Well, I scored 20 points in my ball game. Good for you. Well, Jesus turned water into wine. <laughs> right? But Jesus was 30 years old, so maybe he was just too old to get a spanking. I don't know. He was the son of God, so she, uh, I don't know, right? How do you deal with this? This is a tricky situation, right? But anyway, woman, what do I have to do with you? You know what she does? She does what most, most city, city people do, not people that's got countries. Whatever he tells you to do, just give it to him. Just do it. <laughs> give him what he wants. 
do it. Just tell him, right? <laughs> right, just do it. Just do it, right? And so the Bible teaches us, and here's what's so amazing about it, guys, is that and with Moses, the water turned into blood, but with Jesus, water turned to wine. Because under the law, there was a curse of judgment. But under grace, man, it wasn't about the water that cleansed you naturally. It was about the wine that filled you spiritually. Come on, somebody. How many is glad you're under the grace and mercy of God? Amen. Psalm chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible teaches us that new wine is compared to the gladness of heart. Why did he turn water into wine? Because it's about having the joy of the Lord inside of you. I mean, that's what it's compared to. It's compared to joy. I said it last week or a couple weeks ago, and I'll say it again. Preachers that come up behind the pulpit and say they're called to be, that God has not called you to be happy, has not read their Bible. God wants you joyful. God doesn't want you depressed. God doesn't want you suicidal. God doesn't want you miserable. Amen. He wants you blessed. Happy is the man. Blessed. Happy is the man. Right? Hallelujah. He wants your joy. It's about what you define your joy in. My joy is not in money. It's not in fame. It's not in my calling. It's not in career. It's in devotion because in his presence, there's fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasure forevermore. There's a, he will anoint you with the oil of gladness. He'll give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. Nehemiah 8 and 11, the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. God wants to give you new wine of joy. Hallelujah. It's time for some of us to get our joy back. They were saying that song, Restore the Years, the Enemy's Stolen. Amen. I believe there's some restoration coming to you. That the joy you lost is being restored. Years of loss will turn around into years of increase because in Him and in His presence, there's fullness of joy. Amen. Even though Jesus had not worked one single miracle that we know of in the Word of God at this moment, even though Jesus had not worked one single miracle, she, Mary still believed because she had some promises when this child was born, right? Because you've never seen a miracle Jesus has worked does not mean God is limited in what he can do. Don't lower the level of your expectation based off of your experience, because you've never seen a miracle before does not mean God can't work a miracle. Amen? Hallelujah. God is a miracle working God. What is that university? Um, I'm trying to think of out in, I think it's in Oklahoma, the revivalist. What's the, what's the university? Or Roberts. I've read miracles that happened in his ministry. One miracle, he was praying over a man that was missing a leg. And he prayed over him. And he basically said, God... I've never seen this, and I don't even know how you're going to do it. Just do it. Do it, Lord. And all of a sudden, he was praying. All of a sudden, you could hear popping in the microphone. And his leg began to grow. Did you hear me? Recordings of miracles. And his leg began to grow and form. God's able to do anything, man. God is able to do anything. God is able to heal any sickness. I, want, I would like to see God work such miracles in this region that there are miracles that you've never even heard be healed before. Sicknesses you've never heard be healed before. But he's able to do it. We need to launch our faith out there. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. We just need to pray and believe it. 
Amen. Some of you may not even believe that story. Go look it up. It's true. God's a miracle working God and he has not changed. Or Roberts, that was just a few decades ago. This wasn't in, in, uh, in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. This, was, this is in recent decades. But God has not changed. God is still healing. God is still saving. God is still delivering. God is still setting people free. God has not changed. Has your faith changed? If you don't have the same faith and joy and peace and relationship with God as you did the first time your knees hit an altar to prayer, then you've not got the real thing yet. Because he saves the best for last. He turns water into wine. Amen? Your relationship with God should get richer. Your passion for God should get greater. Your hunger for the glory of the Lord should increase. It shouldn't decrease. It shouldn't be lukewarm. It shouldn't be stagnant. It should ever be growing because he's a miracle-working God. Let me tell you what the religious response to this situation where they ran out of, out of wine would look like. Well, they should have been prepared for more people to come. Right? If, if, if that wedding party, if the governor of the feast would have just had more wine and anticipated the community that was coming out, then we would not have this problem. Let's put it in our perspective. Well, they've been addicted for 20 years. If they wanted to change, they would do better. They would get better. They would make an effort. They would do something. You're not lived in their shoes. That's preaching, right? It's all right? Because compassion of Jesus is about putting yourself in their shoes and seeing the pain that they're going through, amen, and what people are experiencing and going through. Yes, some people don't want to change, but some people do want to change and just don't know how to get there. That's where we come in. Amen? Now, you go from being addicted to drugs to being addicted to Jesus. When miracles and signs and wonders start happening, don't be addicted to miracles. Be addicted to Jesus. Because once you start getting carried away about miracles, then if miracles stop for a service or two, then you think, well, God's done. Revival's done. Jesus is done. Right? Amen. But when you're, when you're addicted to the presence of God and you, start, and you start saying, you know what? I can't make it without praying today. I don't know if I can stand it if I don't get in my Bible and read it today. Amen? That's where we got to get to. Hallelujah. We don't need to be addicted to Sunday morning worship. We don't need to be addicted to Sunday morning preaching. We need to be addicted to the Word when no one's watching. We need to be addicted to the steering wheel and driving down the road, talking to Jesus when no one else is in the car, but just you and God. Let's get there. I said, let's get there. Let's get excited about it. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You with me? Say amen. It's what the religious crowd does. Amen. This is what the religious crowd does. They say, well, they're just there because they made that choice and they deserve it. Amen. I want to, let me, let me, let me say it like this. It's their fault because they're in control. I've said this to preaching. I've heard many preachers say it. I was listening to Chris Valentin the other day and I thought this, and you may have heard me say this before, but I thought it was very interesting the way he put this and so offend some religious people, but that's okay. God is not in control. He's in charge. Because if he was in control, then you can blame God for rape. You can blame God for abortion. 
You can blame God for murder, right? You start blaming God for all the, you know why we want a God who's in control? So that when things fall apart, we have someone to blame. That we don't take responsibility for when things go wrong. We want a God that can be in control so that he can make us righteous without us making the effort to choose to be righteous. Is that okay? But God's in charge. Because when Jesus came, you got to understand, Adam in the garden. God didn't name the animals, Adam did. He gave Adam the authority, name the animals. This is your garden. This is your domain. This is your region. But when the serpent creeped in there, and they listened to the lies of the enemy, they believed the lies of the devil over the truth of God, and sin came in the world. But when Jesus came, died, and resurrected from the grave, that authority has been restored to you and me. So if Pineville's in the shape it's in, it's not God's fault. Because he said, what Jesus said, I give you the keys. I gave you the keys to the kingdom. That whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. It's the miracle has all the miracle you've been believing for has already happened. It is in heaven. It's just when you pray like heaven prays. When you pray like Jesus prays, when you declare what God declares, and all of a sudden, the keys that's been given to you, that authority has now been restored. And now it's just like you walking with God in the cool of the day again. I said, it's time to be on earth as it is in heaven. It's time to be on pine and pineville as it is in heaven. It's time to be in our Father's house as it is in heaven. Your school, your city, your home, your family. Come on, give him praise if you believe it. Hallelujah. Come on. He's given you the keys. He's given you access. No, if your child's addicted, use the keys you got. If you're sick, use the keys you got. If your school needs deliverance, use the keys you got. Yeah. Hallelujah. Look at someone beside you and tell them, I've got the keys, man. I've got the keys. I got the keys to the kingdom. Amen. We want a God who can control us. Rather than the God who's given us the keys and say, it's your authority, it's your domain, you're in charge. Amen. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus came and died and resurrected. See, we want to keep Jesus on the cross instead of seated in heavenly places. We want enough of Jesus to wash our sins away and make us feel lovey-dovey and forgive us of our sins. But we don't want the Jesus that gave us authority to heal the sick and raise the dead. Come on, somebody. We have authority. In the kingdom of God. Amen. Hallelujah. This is the word. It's the word of God. The word you believe in will be what holds power and authority in your life. So if you believe you're sick, you'll stay sick. Can I tell you, there was a lot of times in scripture, God said no, just to see if they'd be persistent enough till he said yes. Come on. God will tell you no sometimes. Just what did he tell Mary? What do I have to do with this? What do I have to do with this situation? Amen. Uh, Wesley, pull up John chapter four right quick. That's that story in scripture. John chapter four. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but that's okay. Man, I feel the presence of God. I feel the anointing of God. I feel the authority of God. John chapter four. 
The Bible says, therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had came out of Judah into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Do you see what happened in Scripture? The miracle that happened in Cana with the water turning into wine was a setup for the healing of this son. Right? When the... See, we miss this in Scripture a lot of times. When the woman with the issue of blood touched him of his garment, in the next chapter over, the Bible says many were coming out of the cities and villages to just touch the hem of his garment. But this is what we want to do. We want to experience God's healing power and miracles, but we don't want relationship. We want enough to feel good and go on our way. And that's why Jesus begins to say, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. What did Jesus tell him? No. What did Jesus tell him? No. No. Right? Unless you see, you'll not believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. He was desperate. But Jesus said, go, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired what hour when he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Have you ever prayed for somebody? Someone get the film better? And said, when did it happen? Have you ever had that happen? But well, I was praying for that person when, at that hour. Come on, somebody. What are you saying? What are you saying, Justin? What I'm saying is miracles are still real today, but we don't have to see it to believe it. We can just take God at his word, but we don't need to be so addicted to needing and wanting miracles that we miss Jesus in that relationship and that devotion to him. Because what happens in Scripture where Jesus said, he'll say, many will say, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not speak in new tongues? And Jesus said, depart from me, I never what? Knew you. Because when you become addicted to miracles and not addicted to Jesus and not know God in a relationship, you can miss a whole lot of stuff. Right? God will use you. God will equip you. God will anoint you to carry the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles so others We'll believe. We can have programs and strategies, outreaches, and we can, and more likely we'll keep doing all that stuff. But you know what? If we would just go forth with signs, wonders, and miracles, that would preach the message itself. May we as a people become a sign and wonder to our region. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You guys with me? Say amen. So what does Jesus do in the scripture? He says, you know what? He said, get some water pots and fill them up with water. And, right, and, and the servants just took Mary at her word and became obedient. Why? Because your miracle is oftentimes attached to your obedience. Amen? Your miracle oftentimes is attached to your obedience. Are you obedient to God? Amen? If there's something you're believing for, but you're walking in disobedience, maybe that miracle, and there's an area God's convicting you, maybe that miracle is attached to your repentance in that area where God is convicting you. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Praise God. So what were these water parts used for? They, these were a ceremonial cleansing that the tradition, the elders and the law called for, where they'd wash their hands, different things like that. This, this was the water pots filled with garbage. Can you imagine? They didn't have soap and shampoo. They had a barrel of water. They had pitchers of water. They had gallon drum of water. And they would dip their hands or wash their face. Everybody's germs. You've been to a foot washing? Everybody's germs. <laughs> Was going 
into this water pot. Everybody's going, ooh. And they said this wine was good. Think about it. Think about it. Jesus didn't say, go rinse it out. He said, go fill it up. Go fill them up. So you can imagine, Jesus didn't pray for it. He didn't say, sanctify to the health and nourishment of their bodies. <laughs> Jesus didn't lay hands on it. He said, fill it up. Go serve it. Right? Jesus didn't have to go in two hours of intercession to see this water turn into wine. Because when you walk with it, with a relationship with God, you heard me say it last week, when you walk with a in a relationship with God, it doesn't take you laboring for hours to see miracles. You can just speak words and phrases and things happen. You don't have to pray for a sick person there in the, at the church for an hour if you've already been prepared for that sick person to engage your pathway. Because if you was 30 minutes to an hour isolated alone with God in prayer, before then you was prepared for the moment. I said it last week, a lot of times our prayers look like the prayers of Baal. We labor all day and see nothing happen because we're not prepared in relationship with God. Elijah prays a 63-word prayer and fire falls down from heaven because he was prepared for the moment because he was hidden in a cave somewhere way before the prophets of Baal came before him. It's time we be hidden in God that he may get the glory, amen. If you pray for a miracle, and it didn't happen the way you wanted it to or didn't expect, and that's okay. Let God give you miraculous joy. Did you hear me? Joy can be a miracle. Peace. Talk to someone that's depressed for years. Joy can be a miracle for somebody. Hallelujah. Someone that's dealt with anxiety and panic attacks for years, let them abide in the miracle of peace. And then they can tell you, I used to be dealing with this, but you know what? His peace came and that sounds like a miracle to me. He turns water into wine, right? Amen. Joy and peace. And I used to be the most hateful person in the world, but God, I experienced God and, and I just want to give everything away and love people, right? Because his miraculous love came in. Hallelujah. So how do we want, why do we want God and how do we expect God to do it? Take what you have, give it to him and be obedient to him, right? Just put it in his hands. Put it in his court. Fill the water pots up. The Bible says in Proverbs 3.10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, and, that will, and what proceeds will be overflowing with new wine. What's he saying? Honor God with what you got, and he'll bless you with more. Right? Honor God, and he'll bless you with new wine. It's the word, right? So when you honor God with what you got, then all of a sudden, it may be look like water pots of, of germs, but all of a sudden, it's new wine, and the people are saying, this is the best it's ever tasted. The governor of the feast says, you know what, the governor, I looked this up last night, the word governor there, the governor of the feast, what that means, it means director of the entertainment. Here's the thing. He did not know where this wine came from. He just knew it was the best. He had tasted all day long, right? What are you saying? What I'm saying is the people that were serving encountered God and knew what happened. The governor of the feast didn't know the miracle that happened, but just tasted of it. Some people want to taste the fruit of someone else's encounter with God. Rather than say, you know what? I want my own experience. Tell me what to do, God. I'll be obedient to you. And then God works miracles. He's still a miracle working God. Amen. Hallelujah. 
We don't need to taste the fruit of someone else's encounter. And we need to stop trying to go with entertainment and start going with obedience. Amen. Hallelujah. Water rehydrates, but wine heals. Some of you just want to be hydrated from week to week. Drink a little water. That worship was good. That was refreshing. But wine heals. When God change, when you have an encounter with God and waters turn into wine, all of a sudden, it's just like the parable of the Good Samaritan. When he came by, that Jew that was rejected by everybody else, what the Bible said, give him oil and wine. Why? Because wine heals. A lot of times in Scripture, a lot of times in Scripture, you read about the wine press of the wrath of God because grapes are crushed. Biblical times, they would just step on them on their feet and things and just crush and get juice out. And that's what they would do, right? Wine, grapes were crushed in these vats. But you know something? Jesus didn't have to crush grapes because he bore the suffering for us. Amen. So you don't have to go through suffering to get wine. You don't have to go to the wine press of God's wrath to know that he's really good. Jesus bore the suffering on the cross to give you a wine that heals you. Mends that broken faith, heals your body, and sets you free. Hallelujah. Almost done. Give me just a couple more minutes. I believe that God wants to do that for your life. I believe God wants to turn water into wine. Matthew chapter 9, verse 17 says this. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskin bursts, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. People want a move of God they can control. So when things start happening, I'm just trying to prepare you, right? And believing for encounters and moves of God. Whenever that's timing, it's on God. But you know what? We're going to be faithful and obedient to him, right? Whenever he does it, it's his timing, but we're just going to be faithful and obedient where we are. But can I tell you, when God bring, begins to move, you can't put that wine and old wines. See, some of you want to talk about tradition. You talk about old-timey churches where it's like, who's got a song, get up and sing? A prayer request or testimony. And you say, well, we've been broke free from that tradition. We don't have to do that stuff anymore. We don't do that stuff anymore, right? Because people give in prayer requests. Y'all been there. If you, if you have been there, then you know what I'm talking about. That people give in prayer requests, and you're like, that, what? No. I saw so and so, but no, that's not a prayer request. It's gossip. Like, stop it. You're not sincerely praying for them. Are you kidding me right now? Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. But anyway, and you say that's breaking from tradition. But when God begins to move, three songs and offering and preaching may not be what God has in store for Sunday morning. Maybe it's an intercessory prayer meeting. Maybe it's let's go pray for everybody that's sick in the room. Maybe it's okay, let's shut church down today. We're going to go into the community because. Apparently, everybody that's not in church or going to church today is out at the gas pump in the grocery store, so let's go take what we got and let's go out there. No service today. Let's just take it and go. Amen. So in other words, if you say, well, I'm uncomfortable with that and I don't like that and I don't want that because I'd rather have my feel-good sermon than my feel-good worship, then you've got tradition and you're trying to put new wine in old wine skins. God wants to give you a new song. God wants to give you a new relationship. God wants to give you a new message. But what happens is when you put that move of God in that old frame of mind, it bursts. As Pastor already says, I'm about to blow up. Those wine skins burst open. What happens when it bursts open? You lose everything that's been deposited in you in an old frame of mind. 
You gotta say, God, whatever you wanna do, I wanna, whatever this new thing looks like, let me be available. Let me do it. Whatever it looks like, I don't care. I don't care if I've ever read it. The Bible says there's no new thing under the sun, but aren't you thankful God's not still under the sun? He's above it. Because he said, behold, I'll do a new thing. And now it'll spring forth. I said, now it'll spring forth. Hallelujah. Amen. Almost done. Praise God. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read this and give you a chance to pray. Worship team, if you would, come up front. Get ready. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. The Bible says, Now he was telling them a parable, Jesus was, to show that all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. They ought to pray and not to lose heart. You lose heart because you don't pray. You lose heart because you don't. You lose heart for Jesus because you don't pray. You lose heart for ministry because you don't pray. You lose, you lose heart because of lack of perspective. Amen? So if you want to quit church or go half-hearted and quit on God and all this other stuff, then you got to check your prayer life because if you don't pray, you position yourself automatically to lose heart. Are you guys with me? Amen? Just wave at me if you're with me. Hallelujah. Amen. He's saying, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God nor to respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling, and afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Right? She will wear me out. And the Lord said, here... What the unrighteous judge said, now will not God bring about justice for his elect or, or hear what the unrighteous judge said, now will God not bring about justice for his elect or cry to him day and night and he will delay long over them. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What does faith look like? It looks like persistent prayers. Persistent. When's the last time you anoint God with your prayers? This unrighteous judge says, I'm going to give this widow what she wants because if I don't give her the protection she needs, because I have the authority to do that, she's going to wear me out. She is going to drive me crazy. She is going to get on my nerves. That was an unrighteous judge, but we got a righteous judge. Because you keep praying for something is not a demonstration for a lack of faith. It proves your persistence. And I believe when you delight yourself in God that your purpose and pleasure is in Him, He'll give you the desires of your heart. But it's about your persistence. Are you still knocking on heaven's door? Are you still knocking? Are you still praying? You prayed for things to happen, revival moves of God, and you, it didn't happen when you wanted it, how you thought it would, or, and things just don't work. Are you still knocking? Or have you gave up and lost heart? He said, keep believing. Keep praying. I pray for this to be happening in my life and it hasn't happened yet. Don't stop. You could be one prayer away from the next great move of God and encounter with him that you've ever experienced. I've answered the altar call time and time again. I'll feel good in that moment, but I leave and that pain will come back. Keep praying. Keep praying. Prayed for God to heal them and they died. I don't want to pray for people anymore. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Don't give up. Keep praying. 
Let's all stand across the room. Bible says that after this miracle happened, the Bible says this was the beginning of signs, the manifestation of the glory of God. You want the manifestation of the glory of God? You got to have signs, Brandon. You got to have signs. You say, Lord, show me your glory. Then you got to have signs. Got to have wonders. Got to have miracles. It's part of it. May we become a house of miracles. May we become a house of miracles. So this morning as a church, we're going to give Jesus an invitation as a church. Is that all right? We prayed it, titled the message, preached it, whatever. But now we activate this word in prayer this morning that we're going to give Jesus an invitation. You ready to do that? Some of you need to give Jesus an invitation to your home. Some of you need to give him an invitation to your school, your place of business, your community, your church, this entire region. But it all begins with Jesus. Give you an invitation to this wedding. God didn't call us to be managers of the feast. He called us to be married to the groom. He called us to be the bride of the church. So this morning, we're going to give you an invitation to come to this altar, to give God an invitation to come to us and introduce himself as the God of miracles. You ready? You want to? Do you believe it? Are you ready to launch your faith out there? I said, are you ready to launch your faith? Some of your faith, that precinct Sunday, some of your faith's been broken. It's time for it to be mended so we can see miracles happen and things take place like we've never seen before. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I believe you gave us a prophetic word this morning. And so, God, we receive it. Let us activate it through prayer and obedience today. God, we pray that you would show us your glory. If you would like to know more about Our Father's House and upcoming events, log on to ourfathershouseky.org.